0: Hello there. You're listening to Tin Questions, where we discuss the wet plate collodion process and the photographers that create these unique images known as ambrotypes and tintypes. I'm your host, Chad Shryock, wet plate photographer for Pork Pie Photography, based in Fort Collins, Colorado. In each episode, I've asked a modern-day practitioner to sit down with me and talk about how they got involved with this vintage process, Share some information on their gear and studio, and provide some valuable insights into their creative process. So, whether you're just beginning to dabble your toes in the collodion ethers, or you're a seasoned silver bath expert, hang on and see what develops with 10 questions. In this episode, I've asked a seasoned wet plater who's known for taking captivating images of Native Americans, organizing large-scale creative photographs with the involvement of hundreds of people, and just a few years back designed his own full natural light studio. I've had the pleasure to meet this colonialist a couple of times in his different studios and see his work process up close. For our inaugural guest, I'd like to welcome Shane Balkowicz to the program. Hi Shane, how you doing?
1: Thank you, Chad. I Appreciate having you having me on.
0: Great, great. So Shane, you are you know you're one of a handful of wet flaters that I've actually uh, met over the years. Probably starting back in about 2016, I went back and looked to see the the first time that I met in your uh, in your first studio there, and uh, yeah. I think again in 2018. So.
1: I'm I'm looking over my right shoulder on the shelf, and there's a bottle of whiskey that you had made. Right? <laughs> I, uh, I people come in and see that bar that bottle, and uh, it entices them. And we've had a pull from it over the
0: years. I bet. <laughs> well, eventually we'll uh, get the chance to uh, do a refill on that guy. That'd be great. So when I was uh, putting together the questions for this episode, I, I realized that I probably know about you and your work more than any of the other guests that will be on the show just because uh, you know I've actually got to meet you and interact with you quite a bit. Um, I also know that you've probably done dozens of these types of interviews, so hopefully we can talk a little bit more technical and provide the listeners with some new details that they, that they may not know. So That's let's... Fantastic. Yeah, so let's just, we'll start with the basics first. So, you know, Shane, please uh, tell us about yourself and, and what stirred your interest in uh, wet plate photography.
1: I was online uh, in 2012 um, and saw a wet plate, did not know it was a wet plate at the time. I saw a wet plate of a gentleman and I inquired about what it was. He explained to me what it was and I just fell down this rabbit hole. There was something intrinsically about that that drew me to this image and i just as a non-photographer at the point at that time in my life i uh, didn't even own a camera the story's pretty well known and i just started uh, chasing this and, and trying to uh, figure out what it takes to make a studio and um and um, what a dark room was i didn't i had never stepped foot in a dark room the first dark room i'd ever been in is the <laughs> one that i made myself my makeshift dark room in my old warehouse so, um, and uh, I've just been chasing it ever since. So, October fourth, two thousand twelve. So, I just celebrated a decade of uh, of doing this, and I've, I've made um, I think four thousand four hundred and twenty eight plates in the in the last uh, ten years. Wow,
0: that's crazy. Can Can you describe yourself without even mentioning anything about photography anymore?
1: <laughs> no, and um, it's really. You know, I was 42 at the time, um, and it took me some years, but at one point um, it occurred to me that this is what I was always meant to do. So, um, for me, never being a, a photographer, never being an artist, never having any sort of creative talent whatsoever or outlet in my life, um, to find myself uh, chasing this and, and seeing where, where, where it could lead is uh it's been so very rewarding i i can't describe it so but um this is this is my my passion um i am a business person as well but that for some years now has taken a backseat um, to what i do down here in the studio
0: that's great so it, it's been a while and, and you've kind of stepped into this process uh, i guess unexperienced i mean you mentioned that you'd never owned a camera or anything. Tell me about your first plate and how that experience went.
1: Well, I didn't know that I would get anything, and and, and as a person that's practiced yourself, you've known many um, wet plate photographers that it takes weeks or months even to get a, some kind of image that uh, you can even um, ascertain what's on the plate, right? Yeah. And um, for my, I, I took my brother's wet plate on that day, uh, uh, plate number one, and I've numbered every plate ever since. Um, they've all been labeled and numbered and, and indexed and archived. And and his image came out, so you can about imagine how excited I was to actually get something that looked like my brother on the plate. Um, and on the anniversary uh, every year of that date, October 4th, um, we do another plate. We take his shirt off. He's got a black backdrop. I use a, I shoot the same 5x7 format. and So I have this series called My Brother Through the Years and I've got, um, 11 plates right now with my brother as he's, um, as he's growing older with me.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, it seems like, uh, for folks that are getting started in this process, their family are really the ones that get to bear the brunt of, uh, sitting in the chair the most. So
1: absolutely. Especially <laughs> when you're learning, you know, you don't want to, I know I wouldn't say embarrassed, but you know, you don't, you know how fickle this process can be, even for people that are seasoned in it. So, um, you know, you want to have people that are patient, and, and if everything goes sideways on you, you, you you know, it's really no harm, no foul. It's it's not the case when um, you know Evander Holyfield stepped in my studio, or Deb Halland, or you know, um, all the people that have come in um, over the years. Um, it, it's a completely different thing, and you, and, and at that point, you want to have some kind of experience in your belt, so that. Uh, you can perform the best that you can during, the, during those moments. Cause you only have these people. Um, you know, I only had uh, Greta Thunberg for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And um, that's just not enough time as you know, but you do what you can.
0: So I was looking back, I made my first plate in March of 2016 okay. and I met you five months later and uh, we actually took a photograph of, of each other in your, uh, mm-hmm. I guess your first studio,
1: yep my uh, makeshift which, studio. Your
0: makeshift studio, and uh, for me, that was plate number forty-nine, and mm. I think at that time you were already at almost two thousand plates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you seems uh, right, and,
1: and I keep track and and like of like the year before last, I made um, three hundred plates, almost to the number, and then this last in twenty twenty-two, uh, I think I made four hundred plates, so. You know, and I'm working every, just to let the listener know, I'm working every Friday. Um, and, you know, you're just making three to 400 exposures a year. And, and it seems like I'm very, very busy.
0: Yep. So, Shane, tell me a little bit about your experience in actually learning the process. I mean, what, what was the mechanics that you went through to actually figure out how to, to create that first plate?
1: Well, I just I went online and started doing searches um, for wet plate artists. And um, John Coffer came up, um, upstate New York, and I was reading over his website, and he had what he calls his doer's guide. And he still sells this. And um, and I ordered it. It was like $75. He lives in a, in a cabin with no phone or any internet or like that. And um, you send him the money, and then this... Uh, typewritten manual in a binder comes to your door and uh, you can order it in handwritten or typed, and I, I figured I didn't want to spend so much time reading his handwriting so I, I got the type version <laughs> and I just started with a highlighter on the couch just every night just um, and making it uh, you know a list of everything that I needed to um, you know all from all the chemistry to you know a, a lens and a camera and the darkroom lights and, you know, all the beakers and all the flasks and everything that we, uh, that we use, uh, to make these plates. Um, I just made a laundry list of stuff that I needed and I just, um, quickly started ordering everything.
0: How, how long do you think it was before, you know, after you received that, the Guide? 45 days.
1: 45 days. days yep. Oh, About 45 cool. days. Is, and that was to have a camera built and everything uh, from Star Camera Company, a five by seven Bellows camera. So. Um, yeah, it was about 45 days. I remember waiting for the camera that was like the last, had everything, you know, <laughs> I had everything that I thought I needed. Ready to go. And then I just sit there waiting for a camera to arrive. Like I yeah. don't even have a camera to test anything on. So, yeah. um, I remember that was the last element. And once I did, uh, I called my brother back to the, back to the, uh, warehouse and, um, we went for that first exposure.
0: So you shoot, uh, primarily portraits using this process. How, how did yes. you decide to focus in that area? I mean, was that something that you but, had in mind yeah, when you started the no, process? Or? No,
1: but it's it's the human condition. So, um, you know, and I, and of all, all these 4,400 plates or so that I've made, 99.9% of them have human eyes in them. So um, you're right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a portrait, portrait artist uh, through and through, Um there's a you know and I'm gonna just give you my slant on it why you're asking me why I'm a portrait artist versus like a landscape artist or something and this is just mm-hmm. me not to upset anyone or anything but um, you know when you you see you, we've all seen examples of these when these plates last 100 and 200 300 400 years but I've got examples of 170 year old plates in my in my studio here and you look at these plates and 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 most of the time the the photographer didn't take the time to document who the person was in the picture or even document that they were the person that took the photograph or even the date or anything. And you always wonder what did that person do and what was their life like? There's, there's some connection there between the viewer of the plate and, and the person on the plate. So, um, you know, I've, I've done a couple of landscapes and, um, you know, a landscape, will, a conifer tree is a conifer tree <laughs> 150 years from now. Um, and but that you can't say that about a human there's something intrinsically um, unique and special about each every person and there's a story behind every person whether or not you you, you get to know the full story um, but I, I like that I like the fact that um, these things these objects that we're creating um, will be here long after I'm gone and um, it gives me a lot of reassurance so um, it just it's just what i gravitated towards it wasn't any decision at all it's just what was i going to take a picture of in my studio to start well my brother's standing there so um that that's kind of how i fell into portrait work it was nothing more magical than that
0: yeah and and i like that you from the start kept track of every photo labeled every photo
1: kind of crazy right like why why, did, why well, did the person that just picked up a camera <laughs> start labeling plate one with the date and the subject and the date of birth and the, you know, by Shane Balk, which Nostalgic Glass Wet Plates to Bismarck, North Dakota? Why would someone do that? Yeah. It's, it's very strange.
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I did the exact same thing from the start. And one of the reasons that I, that I think maybe I got into that is, you know, I have seen a lot of family photographs Mm-hmm. and you look at them, and, and like you said, there's there's no names. You don't know when it was taken. Mm-mm. So you've essentially, you have a, a picture of that person, but until you can really say their name, um, figure out who they were, you you really don't have a good way to relate to that person, especially if it's in someone in your family, right?
1: Or even if it's not, I mean, it could you don't even know, and it could even be a family portrait, but it could be shot on a different continent, and you'd have no no way of ascertaining that unless there's some you know there's some item in the background that gives it away where this was shot yeah um so you, you don't know anything about these pictures and and a vast majority of the pictures that have been created um over the years um since those first photographs back in the victorian era um they have no identifying information whatsoever we take more digital photographs today than in the first 150 years of photography
0: yeah you know i uh so here recently, I had found a, a really nice looking tintype, and it was a, a husband and wife. And I can't remember if they had six or seven children in the photo. Mm. And uh, I, I just liked the overall look of it. You know that the picture itself was not very good. There was some exposure issues, and so I brought it back. You know, and and I I've, I've had it for well over a year or so, and and I pulled it out just before the holidays. And I got to looking at it and there were actually names on the back of it. And I was wow. able to go through like, uh, ancestry and some of these web searches and actually found some of the descendants of the people that were in that photo and send it to them. I dated it to 1881, uh, based on the the birth of a couple of twins that were in the picture. Uh, But I was able to send it to him and, you know, it it makes you feel good that you can return kind of an heirloom like that to somebody that, that really thought it was lost and they can see, Hey, this, these are people from, from whence I came. Right.
1: Can I share a crazy story with you? Sure. Uh, A young man by the name of Chase Manhart during the pandemic was doing a podcast and he asked me to be on the show. Um, right around when I was getting so much flack for capturing Jordan Peterson's photograph. And, um, so I went on his show and then he, he came, come, came and visited me and then he decided, well, I would like to do this, Shane. And you know, me, I, uh, that's no problem. Just yeah. come back and he lives in <laughs> South Dakota. So he made like five or six trips back and I ended up showing this uh, young, young kid how to make wet plates. And, um, I've done this for, I don't know, 10, 12 different people over the years. And, um, he, he was at a, and I don't. I, hopefully, this isn't boring, but it's going down the the what you were just talking about. Yeah. He was at a um, antique store and he saw this t- this. He had like two hundred tin that he could have picked from, right? All in the little brass frames and all that stuff. And he says, "Well, what are they valued at?" And I asked him, "What are they asking?" And he, they were only asking like twenty bucks apiece. And I said, "You can't go wrong at twenty bucks apiece. You're not being robbed. If you like the image, you know, pick out a couple that you like and and buy them. You, sure, You, you just yep. can't go wrong at twenty bucks, yeah. right? Yeah." You know, if they were saying $200, $300, that's a totally different scenario. But $20, bucks, I mean, what's going on? So he picked out a couple from all these hundreds of plates. So he comes in, bouts into the studio the next time he was had to have another lesson with me. And um, he, he was so proud of this, this portrait. He, he showed it to me, this tip type that he, was during that conversation that we had. And I said, well, you know, what would be really interesting is if we open this up and we get the name of the people or the person that's in the photograph or we find out who the photographer is. I sure. Think, yeah. I've got many of them here and I've opened up all of them. and I've never found any information. Yeah. So he was just like, so we had this little treasure chest in front of us. Yep. So I, and I wanted to clean it for him too. You could see that there's some dust between the glass and the plate and stuff. And you just wanted to, so I wanted to make sure, you know, take it out and, and, and check it over and make sure that it was a tin type, not you know, an amber type or, or anything like that. And so I meticulously took this apart very carefully for him, and we cleaned it, and we turned it over, and there was a business card, and the photographer's name was Chase, same <laughs> oh, wow. name as the young kid <laughs> that had picked out this, this wet plate from hundreds of other wet plates. Yep. <clears throat> and so then he went down this rabbit hole to find out what the studio looked like and, you know, find out everything he could about this. I mean, what's the coincidence? Oh of that? yeah, that's fantastic. And I said that right before he opened <laughs> it up. I said we could possibly find out who the photographer is, and the photographer's name was Chase. That's I, It's just like goosebumps. So I hopefully that wasn't a boring story.
0: I, I have never been that lucky. I mean, I have tons of examples of vintage dags and amber types and tintypes and some in cases. I want to find a love letter.
1: I want to find a love letter. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I want to find a, or a poem. Yeah. That's what I want to find.
0: You know, I, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife was walking through a store and she's like, oh, you got to come look at this. And it was a, it was a post-mortem of a young girl. Mm -hmm. It, It was an, it was a dag in a really nice kind of octagon case. And I'm like, okay, I got to get it. And then I get to look and I find another one of the same girl in a different case right next to it. I'm like, okay, I got to get both of these, you know. Mm. So I'm bringing this home and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to crack this thing open. And there's going to be a lock of hair. There's going to be some names. And there's nothing. nothing yeah.
1: <laughs> but, well, I think, you know, I think photographers are just trying, you know what I mean? It was a job. They were just, this was their profession and yeah. they were just trying to make money and they, and how could they have thought, well, someone in 2023 would be interested. You know what I mean? Like why would, how, how would they have perceived, you know, where this would go? And how photography would change and, and how these these original documents would become significant, you know. Yep. They were just trying to, you know, give me my 50 cents or 25 cents and and uh, here's your work and thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, at,
1: at least that's what I kind of think. Yeah, I, yeah. And,
0: and I would say that the typical per- person back then uh, was probably afraid to mess with that little case too much, you know. They, oh, they yeah, weren't going to take it apart and try and stuff something no. behind it, so. No, no, absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's switch over. Let's talk about, uh, your studio. Uh, so tell, tell everybody that's listening here, like talk about your studio. What does your dark room look like? You know, is there anything unique about it? And, and I know there is for, especially for your studio. Um,
1: oh yeah. So, so um, I had known, you know, I, I, operated the studio in what I call my makeshift studio, which was a warehouse with no windows, that first studio that you came into. And, and obviously we're using continuous bulbs and there's, you know, um, and I had no natural light and, and there was one day, where the summer came around and I was like, I'm going to go outside and take a picture of my mom outside in the, in the sunlight. So I put her on a chair in the middle of the field and took this picture of her and something about that portrait, I realized that um, this process wants natural light like you know you can do flash and you can do continuous bulbs and i do if i'm doing portraits at night and i i still bolster depending on what time of the year some of the natural light i'll, I'll put one continuous bulb on just to kind of do um, some different lighting effects but it occurred to me that the tonality and the um the presence of the wet plate was so much so much more significant and more beautiful using natural sunlight and in it in it, and it uh, occurred to me that um, I need to look into what, it, what they did, you know, 150 years ago in these natural light studios. So a Dr. Raymer, uh, I think it's Felix Raymer, wrote a definitive book you can get on Amazon. It's one of those historic books that you can get for like eight bucks. You know, they just print them just because of its historical sure. value. Yep. So Dr. Raymer in 1906 wrote the definitive book on building the best natural light photography studio. And in this book, there was all kinds of diagrams of window designs and stuff. And so I read this book and I went through it and I looked and I picked out um, a window and I copied the dimensions of the window and the pitch of the window and um, the size of the window. And then once I had that, I just, uh, on a napkin, I designed the studio around that window. Um, I learned that you want northern facing light. You, it's always referred light. There's no, um, you know, there's no direct sunlight. Only a couple of times during the year one time during the year does light come through and hit like up in the, on the high ceiling, Mm -hmm. you'll see actually direct sunlight, but no, no direct sunlight ever comes into the, uh, into this space. And it's this beautiful referred light. And, um, and I, I used his book and I, you know, I had already been practicing for probably, you know, four years at the time. So, um, I knew enough about what I wanted in my studio and I thought, well, if I build this damn thing and it's not what I wanted it, that I got nobody to blame but myself. So, <laughs> you know, I designed the dark room and where everything was going to go and my my workflow and, and where the dressing room was going to be. And I had to have a supply uh, area and, and, you know, where I was going to finish stuff. And then I want a bunch of bookshelves and and then I wanted um, special shelving so that I could display hundreds of my 8 by 10 black glass hammer tips. You walk in the front door of the studio and – And there's just walls of of my original works that I and it's kind of um it's kind of like an exhibition but it's a revolving exhibition so I'm always constantly editing so I'll make a new plate I'll look at the wall and say okay that one's about time that one's been up there for a couple of years I take it down I put the new one in so it's always so if you come in it just changes like the seasons and there's always something new up on the wall.
0: So, so I know you do a lot of storage, uh, and donations with the, uh, the state, uh, historical archive, but do you have another, like, as you go through and, and rotate, uh, some of your, uh, amber types that you've got there in your studio, do you have a location there at your house or some kind of storage mechanism for kind of yeah. keeping them safe still?
1: I've got, um, as of last month, I have 60 museums that are presently, uh, curating my work um, I've got a huge um, gun safe in in the, um, in the storage area where um, that uh, I, everything's if it's, if it's not with it's either on the wall or it's in the st- in, in the safe or it's at a museum. so that's where all my or it's in the hands of one of my sitters that I had either had commissioned a work or I had gifted them a plate or something.
0: So sure. Yep.
1: That's where it's all good. So the stuff that's uh, gets rotated off the walls goes into the safe immediately and um, it's waterproof and, and fireproof and stuff. So, um, and then I think once I get that safe filled up, I'll just start, um, in my will, I'm, I'm gifting my entire collection of plates to the State Historical Society. They have about 800 plates as of right now, most of them by Native American series called Northern Plains Native Americans A Modern Wet Plate Perspective. I'm doing a four book series. I'm halfway through that series. Two books have been produced. And, but they take my creative work as well. Um, it was a really interesting well, I don't know if it's interesting but when I first started they first started taking, they took the, my, my wet plate called Eternal Field of Ernie LaPointe, the great grandson of a sitting bowl yep. was the first plate that uh, knocked down the door for my first museum so my state archive is, was my first museum that I'd ever given um, my work to and I have works at the Smithsonian and the Library of Congress and the Pitts Rivers Museum over in the UK and the Royal Photographic Society just to name a few but um, they'd have to have a review committee. So I would ha- make a couple of Native American plates and then they would they would uh, review it. And they'd have to say, okay, because you know it's expensive to store these things and to curate and right. be protecting these for a long time. Yep. So it's not just like, I don't know of any other photographer, I know of no other photographer that has their state archive will just take their work when they make it. But it wasn't always that way for me. So this is where I'm going with the story real quick. Something I don't know if I've discussed before, but... So they had to have this review committee, and they all, you know, they'd say, okay, yeah, we can take that plate, we can take that plate. So then I took that photograph of Evander Holyfield, and um, they found out that it went to the Smithsonian Institute. So the Smithsonian sent a climate-controlled van to a truck to North Dakota to collect this plate from me. And... The following Monday, they I thought they got the plate on a Thursday. And, and the State Historical Society, they're really great people, and they're my friends up there. But they had heard about this, this acquisition by the Smithsonian. So on Monday, I got a uh, an email from the director that said, uh, Mr. Balkwich, by the way, um, the North Dakota State Historical Society will take any works that you want to donate <laughs> at any time going forward. And then the door was open to where I could get some of my creative work, like uh, my large collaborations and stuff like that, pictures of the – you know the mayor and pictures of my family and you know other significant people around because that's what photographers did back then right you take a picture of the butcher take a picture of the librarian you know the 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 iron smith or something like that or the guy that ran the boat down by the river i mean those are the things that photographers do so i do try to you know invite people to my studio that have these interesting jobs or um, places in our society in modern day trying to um those shoes and try to follow in some of my previous web play brothers and sisters um you know what they've done in the past and what they've done a lot of times is they take a picture of the banker or the you know the governor and that kind of thing
0: yeah that, that brings up a point i was going to ask you if you had a um, a least favorite subject to photograph and, and i'll give you an example one that, mm. one that i um I don't want to say that I struggle with, but I, I never really look forward to it is photographing young children, infants. Mm. Uh, but mm. I, but I've, I've taken some fantastic shots just because I got really lucky. You know, they, they held still for just the right amount. They didn't move out of my focal plane and I got some really wonderful stuff, but I, 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 I never look forward to it.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I get, and, I, and like when I take, you know, there's so much intent involved when I'm trying to create so there's a lot of thought going into it. So I would never shoot something that I was not, like, if if, if 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 I knew the subject wasn't something that I, if I was to say the least thing, the photograph for me would be someone in a white dress or a white shirt or something like that, you know. yeah. That for, those are the things that I try to avoid, <laughs> um, especially um, in my natural light studio, because you know how things blow out and stuff. But sure. as far as subject matters, I don't, I don't point my camera at anything that I don't, I really, um... I really want to capture, and it, it is difficult. Um, I've captured a bunch of um, sleeping Native American children in in their um, their little baskets and stuff, um, and it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Yep. And if they move, and then you don't you don't get to see the the details on their face. And so uh, children are tough. But I've um, I've had a lot of practice. My, my daughter, um, my, you know, both my daughters, they their entire lives, their dad's been practicing photography. So you know, I've got a picture just five feet from me of, of my daughter when she was two and my other daughter was four. So they were just laying down with their eyes closed cause they couldn't uh, handle not blinking. But, um, yeah, there's a, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, try to stay away from whites, bright whites Yeah, is something I try to avoid.
0: What about, um, let's talk about cameras. Uh, so what kind of gear did you start with versus what do you use today?
1: Um, started my first exposure with those at the Star Camera Company five x seven. He's uh, he's since gone out of business and no longer makes cameras. Um, and um, I started with an old Petzval lens brass lens, um, which is really slow and it it wasn't sharp at all. Um, and then um, I had a friend, a wet plate brother online that was became. I only have one person that had ever. Um, John Coffer was my mentor from the book that's to say um but he's never given me an advice personal advice other than i should be using cyanide instead of uh hypo uh, (laughs) or rapid rapid fix um that's the only advice he's ever given me but he you know through his book i was mentored by john coffer but uh, andreas ray from germany are you familiar with him yep yep okay so andreas ray from germany um he came to my aid very early on and helped me with lighting i mean there was probably in chad i don't I don't, I'm not ashamed to say it. I bet there was six months, my first six months of photography, I did not realize I was using light to make the picture. Like I I knew I had, I had the lights turned on, right? These continuous bulbs, Yeah. but I didn't, do you know what I'm saying? I didn't understand that I can move that light here. I, all I was worried about was getting a picture. I was just trying to get some kind of resemblance. And then you start to figure, Oh, I moved that fixture back three feet and look what happens to the, the, the the shadows on that side, or I move it over here, and I move it over there, and it, so it took me like six months. I mean, that's how naive I was about photography. I didn't even realize that um, this was a concept that I'm, you're painting with light. Um, and uh, um, so Andreas Ray came to my aid um, with some lighting tips, and then he said, "Shane, why don't you try?" He's from Germany, and you know, he says, "Why don't you try a Carl Zeiss Tessar lens?" And he found one on eBay for me and sent it over. I, I can't remember. It was one of the smaller sizes, just to cover my five by seven. Yeah. And I've got since I've I've uh, bought all the all the sizes of the fire of the Carl Zeiss Tessars, and I mounted that lens and I took that first exposure, and that was it. I've never changed lens.
0: Probably sharp and as I've, a tack too,
1: right? It, it'll <laughs> cut you like a knife, like yeah. a razor blade. It's so sharp. And 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 that's just, and that's just personal preference as well. You know what I mean? Like you don't know your personal preference until. It's upon you, and then you go, oh, well, I like this a lot better. So there's this there's this connection to me with this super sharp, made in Germany lens. So then I went out because I had at that time uh, by that time I had multiple size cameras. Um, I was going to five, five by sevens, eight by 10s and I even had like a fourteen by fourteen at one point. And I got five different sizes of this lens. All all the f 4.5 is wide open. Um, all you know they're they're made in like the 1980s. So I mean, they're not um, they're not antique lenses, but they're vintage lenses, which they sure. called now. There's actually some Carl Zeiss Tessar vintage lens groups on Facebook, um, and um, so ever since then, I'm a one trick pony. I'm a simpleton. I have other uh, lenses here that I you know that I could use, and I I don't use them. I can't get away from it, and and I hope. Um, Like when I was a golfer, and I haven't golfed since I picked up photography, but when I was a golfer, I used the same putter for like 15 years, and there was something about having that one tool in your hand, and there was new technology, putters came out, right? I mean, they're always changing putters. I don't know if you golf, but there's always something new on the market that's coming out. This is better, and you just forget about all that, and you just stick with your old putter, and there's something about you just hold it enough times, you swing it enough times, you take the shutter off enough times, you 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 know, you create with this one tool, and a putter's no different than a lens, it's a tool, and you create with this one tool long enough, and I've always thought that you could possibly get better, like 10 years, 15 years into using that same tool. At that point, you should have mastered that tool, yeah. and that's kind of my mindset, and that's why I don't change lenses. I, I know some wet plate photographers change lenses like uh, underwear, but what I think you see in my work, and I hope and I've been told this, but I hope people see in my work is there's a consistency Yep. that you see my work and you don't even have to see my name. And, and you realize if you know who I am and you're, you're familiar with some of my work, you just you know, if you scroll in on Facebook, and you see it. You obviously know it's my work immediately. And and there's there's something there's value to that that for me as an artist that, um, you know, it's a little bit more than style. It's. um you know, it's a little bit more than lighting. It's a little bit more than composition. There's all these, and you know, even the lens comes into play on what makes you uh, unique in this world. And 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 um, I, I hope I'm able to achieve that with uh, using that same damn lens.
0: Yeah, well, it it definitely removes one of the variables, right? I mean, we have enough stuff to deal with between the chemistry right. and the lighting and somebody moving a centimeter. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's get one, one thing that's a constant
1: <laughs> And exposure times, you know, every lens has different exposure times. They're all going to react differently. So you get that lens, your eyes are my light meter, right? Yep. My eyes are my light meter always have been. Even when I went to Slovenia and took that picture of brute petrolin, um, my, my eyes are my light meter. And so I have a lens and my eyes become this team, right? Like, I know that my lens isn't going to let me down at f4.5 and you know I know I'll go outside I'm f11 f8 I know that lens I and I know the light with my eyes so melding my 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 aptitude with uh, my vision and just experiencing the light understanding like I I can go from my natural light studio in, in the workspace into my dark room, and I come back three minutes later and I can tell you that the lights change, that a cloud came in or something's changed that i, I I'm not in tune with the light in this <laughs> in this place. so it's it's really something that I wasn't expecting. but when you're you're paying attention so closely, it's amazing what you're able you're able to achieve. and and it's all about that one variable that lens is a consistent it's a consistency. It yep. does what it's supposed to do every time for you. And then you only have to worry about, you know, I'm uh, making the judgment call.
0: All oh, the other ten things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, only only ten things,
1: right?
0: <laughs> so, so your your newest camera, I, I, is it Red Molly? I think that's what you Red Molly two. Red Molly two. Okay.
1: Yeah. So Red Molly one was a Alessandro Ghibellini eight by ten um, folding camera. I, I never fold it; it's always um, open. And um, and I had Red Molly one, and then um, it occurred, I almost like dropped it or something one afternoon. And it occurred to me that that's not good. What if I, would, if I would have broke this camera this afternoon? I would be dead in the water. I'd have to go back to my old 5 by 7 or something. And I'd, in all my studio work, unless the students come in, I have students come out to the, i got six to eight different classes every year, come out from the university and the grade schools and the high schools and the junior highs. Um, and it occurred to me, if I, if I break this camera, I'm totally. Oh, yeah, I'm, you're out of I'm, luck. <laughs> I'm screwed for that day, right? Or I, I'd be screwed for a week. I mean, oh, you're yeah. getting this from Italy. So yeah. it was like, oh, I can't have this. So um, I retired uh, Red Molly 1 and uh, upgraded and got Red Molly 2. And, and it's called Red Molly because there's a, there's a song, um, 57 Vincent, I want to say, is the name of the song. It's about a motorcycle. Oh yeah. And and it's about
0: I'm familiar uh, red- with the uh, the Del McCurry yeah. version of that yeah. song. Oh, yeah. Very good. Okay,
1: yeah. perfect. So there's a red headed girl <laughs> with black leather, right? It's right. favorite colored scheme. <laughs> that's what it's that's the, 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 the So my camera was named after Molly. His his love that he gives the the as he's dying he's handing her the keys of that motorcycle. Uh,
0: that's great. I've um, heard that that's, story. <laughs> that's
1: where. That, that's why it's always. That's why I always take. I like having new podcasts because these new stories get documented, or these old stories that I never recanted before. So that's where it came. And then um, so, Alessandra, we did some things. Um, uh, Fresnel back on it, and and a um, knob for controlling the focus instead of grabbing the bellows and stuff. So. And we upgraded, and so I got, uh, but Red Molly 1 is, um, I take into the field, and then Red Bonnie 2 just stays um, on the tripod here.
0: Nice. And, um,
1: and so if I break one of them, I'm, I just, you know, a couple feet away, I'm able to um, continue on.
0: So, so what's, the, what's the oldest piece of equipment that actually gets any use in your studio? Do you have, like, any antique stuff that maybe on a normal basis? Well, my,
1: my tripod is um, from Italy and um that is about 40 years old okay it's huge it's uh 11 12 feet tall um weighs 550 pounds um i i I wanted i was trying to get you know being creative and trying to get at different angles right and you know there's normal tripods um, with the legs and stuff there's only so much you can do you're not getting eight feet off the ground well that's what I want to do. I want to get eight feet off the ground. I want to shoot down on people. I want to do all these different angles and stuff like that. So I, I started looking into a tripod, and I found this tripod. Um, I want to see it was in New York, and this photographer was selling it, 400 bucks. And nice. um, and he he says, you know, I got him on the phone, and, and he says, well, my wife told me I had to get rid of it. It's been in the corner with a sheet over it for, <laughs> you know, I, I, I went to digital, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and I haven't used it since. And um, he said, "What are you going to do with it? Are you going to make scrap metal out of it?" I said, "Well, I'm going to make wet plates." He goes, "Well, no, you're not." I said, well, I, I, I am," he says. And this gentleman was—he's sincere. He goes, "No, you're not going to actually use this as a tripod, are you?" I said, "I am absolutely going to use your tripod." And he actually like broke down in tears on the phone that he was so thrilled that his old tripod that has been sitting in the corner is going to go to a photographer and it was going to get more life. And so what he did is he took it all apart from me and oiled it and everything like that. And he disassembled it and he made a manual. He took pictures. He spent hours making his (laughs) manual with his own time, made this manual, how to reassemble it so that when it got here, I knew exactly what to do. And it arrived and the foot pedal has some, you know, the the rubber part is um, worn out and that's where he stepped on it for years. And You know, you could just see that this gentleman, why he had this connection again, back to the putter, back to the lens, right? Like he had this connection. And then I took a picture of it in my studio assembled, and it just like, he was just thrilled. He was absolutely thrilled. And he spent that tripod. Do you want to know how many he paid for that? It made an Italy tripod. This thing is not one of those um, plastic tube.
0: Ones. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah, I've seen that one. I mean, it's, okay, a, it's so definitely heavy duty. Do you know how
1: many he paid for that back in the day?
0: Uh, no idea.
1: I mean, it was like $21,000. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> $21,000 or something ridiculous Yeah. that he paid for that tripod years ago and um, it it sits here and I've used it ever since
0: it's getting good use
1: it's getting good use and and he was so happy so happy that it it was um, that someone was going to actually be using his old tripod
0: great okay Shane if you had the chance to photograph anyone that's living today who would it be living today who
1: would it be probably Bob Dylan
0: Bob Dylan okay
1: Bob Dylan. I think it would be fantastic to take Bob Dylan's web plate.
0: So let me yes, ask you this. Have you, for sure. have you reached out to Bob Dylan to let him know that you're no. willing to take his photo? No, I think
1: he's pretty, hard, he's pretty hard to get a hold of. Um, I had done, before I was a photographer, I had commissioned a painting um, um, called Desolation Row. So his song, and I don't mean to get too far off, off track, but it, it, was, it was me trying, getting into this artist scene a little bit, where his song, Desolation Row, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, it it's, um, it's a narrative that it actually paints a scene. So if you listen to the lyrics, it paints a scene, and that scene would play back in my head, and I would imagine the scene, and I hired this artist, and it took us three years for him to do this painting for me. And over three years, every word of that song, Desolation Row, and people can find it. If you type in Balkowicz Desolation Row on Google, you can see the the painting. Um, I, I sell prints. I've sold hundreds of prints all over the world. Um, and it took three years, and it was me and every aspect. So the composition of that painting was all me. Like I decided, okay, we needed, you know, a blind man. We needed, you know, we needed the uh, all the different elements of that song. And it's like an eleven minute song um are in that painting. So um I think it'd be interesting. Uh, but I did send Bob Dylan a copy of that painting, a big blown up one when I when I was uh when I was done with it, but I'd never heard back. So I, I think he's pretty hard to get hold of. But Bob Dylan is who um who would be fantastic. Yeah we'll
0: we'll have to see if we can make that happen.
1: That would be nice.
0: <laughs> is there an idea uh for a plate or a series that you've got in mind uh for maybe something that you've not shot yet? Uh, and i think this is probably a good point to talk about your uh modern perspective on the native american uh photography that you've been doing i know that you've got a couple of books out uh so far and you're maybe what halfway through that series
1: yeah, a little bit over halfway it's called northern plains native americans a modern wet plate perspective um i'm 652 plates in uh taking me nearly 9 years to get there and um People pitch to me all the time different ideas and different concepts for series, and and I really I need to stay focused on 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 what I'm doing here with the, the Native American community. I'm, I'm really committed to this. Uh, I've been adopted into the Hidatsa tribe. My name is Meish Ekegoche in Hidatsa. Uh, Calvin Grinnell, the uh, Hidatsa elder, gave me that name, which means shadow catcher, um, the same name as Edward Curtis had had received and um, I, you know I've got this idea I've got to get I got to get to a thousand plates It'll take me another seven eight nine years maybe okay. and um, then I have an idea My that after that I you know I, I create I'm booked out about seven months for these native portraits so um, every every Friday there's most every Friday a Native Americans coming in but I I do creative work also during the during those sessions so um, I want to do um, a book after I finish my Native American series, I want to start um, like a master's work uh, book, like a hundred of my masterpieces or my, not my masterpieces, but my my creative work. I want to I want to go away from the Native American the the documentary part of what I've been doing with the camera, and I want to get more into some of these creative pieces that I've that I've done over the years. Uh, I want to be able to feature them in in some kind of book, and I I don't know how many copies of that I'll be make available, but. That's kind of the idea: is to is to keep my nose to the grindstone, um, and and, and um, fulfill this promise that I've made to my Native American friends, um, and, uh, and and finish this series for them. And 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 you know, people ask me, are you going to stop capturing or phot- photographing Native Americans after a thousand? Absolutely not. I just won't. At that point, I think I can just let my guard down a little bit and know that um, I, I put a pretty big. Um, pretty big hill to climb, sure. um, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, you know, I was going to only do 10 plates. The series is going to be 10 plates at first. <laughs> and then I got to 10 plates. I well, I, I didn't know, how am I going to find 10 Native Americans that I've never met before? Because I, I had no friends as Native Americans. And then Ernie LaPointe, the great grandson of City Bull, walked in my studio. And um, then I got to 10 plates. And then I was approaching 50 plates. I said, okay, well, we're going to really throw down the gauntlet. We're going to do 100 plates. And then I quickly got to hundred plates, it's like, okay, enough of this, we're going to do a thousand plates. And knowing damn well that I was going to take myself some, some years into the future. And, um, and it's, it's been the best thing that I've, that I've ever done with a camera. Um, and, um, you know, when, when my friends come into the, the studio and, and they can be complete strangers, um, but if they know me as shadow catcher and they know that I've been adopted in their dots tribe, Um, they don't come in as complete strangers. They come in as my brothers and my sisters. And, and there's something to that, that you just, um, um, I have a hard time putting, uh, putting words to it. Yeah.
0: Well, I I mean, it's definitely a, a huge undertaking and to, to have stayed the course this long, to have gotten more than halfway through it and to realize that, Hey, you are going to be coming to the end of it. I, I, I think it's, uh, says a lot about your creativity that you're even thinking ahead what comes next. So,
1: yeah. And, and I'll just keep, you know, if a thousand and one native Americans walks in the studio, of course I'll take their picture. And, and if I get to 1250, maybe I'll, I'll make a fifth book. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, I, I really, um, um, cause sometimes it feels like I don't have enough time. Like, you know, I'm only going to be 50, 54, um, in, 14 days, um, but sometimes you know you never know what ha- what happens. Yeah. And I, I'm just finishing reading for the third time, uh, "Short Nights with the Shadow Catcher," uh, about Edward Curtis's life, uh, the book. And um, he spent 33 years and um, capturing up to 40,000 portraits of Native Americans. But then, and, and he had a much simpler um, process, you know, with the dry plates he could make. Eighty, ninety plates on a day, um, but um, you know what that man went through, and he said the quote was when he finished in nineteen twenty nine that he did not have enough money to buy a ham sandwich. That's how broke he was yeah. when he was done with that. Yep. Um, and it was an amazing story. So um, I keep him in mind. I've got I've actually got his twenty four volumes. I've got a replica of his uh, twenty four volumes sitting here just uh, on on the shelf. Um, Chris Cardoza was a friend of mine. He was the, the preeminent expert of Curtis's work in the world. So every book that you if, uh, every modern day book in the last 20 or 30 years about Edward Curtis, if you look in that book, there will be the photographs were provided by Chris Cardoza. And he was a friend of mine. Um, he befriended me, knew about what I was doing. I would take pictures of Native Americans, and then he would, they would say, "Well, my uncle or my, my grandfather was captured by Curtis." They would say something like this, and so then I would get that over to Chris. Chris would research it. He'd find the picture of the you know the the relative to the person that I was taking a photograph of, and he'd <laughs> he'd send the family free prints. That's nice. You can believe that. Wow. And then um, he was supposed to come on the weekend that Deb Allen flew in. Um, I had my big first book signing, and his mom got ill and um chris couldn't make it he called me i remember just hours before getting on the plane he was devastated that he couldn't make it to my studio because he wanted to meet deb and he wanted me to take his portrait in the in the process and then uh, during COVID, he passed away so um i never had the opportunity to um, meet the man or to uh, take his portraits and it's um um it's a regret that i have that that that, that happened that way but uh, he was a fantastic guy but anyway he spent um 30, hours Making a replica of Curtis's twenty-four volumes, like to the to the word to the page, everything is it, it, you know from five feet away you can't tell it's not a Curtis. Right. And because um, the last Curtis full twenty-four volumes sold for three point eight million dollars at Sotheby's. Wow. And and this book collection here cost me I want to say it was like seven thousand dollars for twenty-four volumes, but at the time it became available it was like. I mean, where do I get? Where can I get this? Into, you know, this kind of. Where can I get this kind of history? Like, if you would have told me, oh, sign up for the Curtis Collection and every book's two hundred bucks, you would you would have said, oh, I'll do that immediately, right? It was it's, it was a no brainer. So yeah. I, I knew that this uh, this collection of books needed to be in my studio. And I've had elders come in and um, asked to see different different volumes about their tribe. And I actually, had an elder come in. They had a question about the number of skulls, or there's some sacred skulls. And um, they know the oral history of how many skulls there were. I want to, and I don't want to make a mistake, but uh, just for example, they, the oral history talked about two skulls, but then some people talked about four skulls. So they didn't know about these secret skulls to this tribe, um, how many. So what we did is we we got the Curtis volume off off the wall off the shelf. And um, the elder sat there and looked page by page and read everything and found out that it was, I want to say it was four skulls. So Curtis documented four skulls in writing. And then at that point, the elder felt comfortable that, you know, they could um, they could believe the four skulls because he wouldn't got something like that wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, so it's an invaluable tool. Um, And, you know, people are able to come in and I'm able to take it off the shelf and say, this is what your tribe looked like 100 years ago. And it's, and it's
0: fantastic. It, it's amazing that Curtis was such a forward thinker in, in seeing, you know, a people that um, their ways, their, their language, even any, any of the information about them was getting ready to really disappear from history, right? And, and he kind of took that upon himself to try and capture that, to make it available to people. So it's, it's amazing that even today... <laughs> That people are still going back and, and looking through that information as a, as a reference point for their culture.
1: Could you imagine if you told Curtis back in 1915 that in 2023 there would be a wet plate artist capturing Native American portraits <laughs> in North Dakota? Yeah. You know, wet plate. I mean, that was 50 years before he was even. Right. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't obviously he knew about wet plating, but I mean he had abandoned that technology by 1898 or whatever when he started, right? So he had already abandoned wet plating. So can you imagine saying, okay, 120-some years in the future, someone's going to be practicing wet plating and still going to be able to find Native Americans still in their regalia, still coming in with their songs, still coming in with their food, still coming in with their culture, I mean, he wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, he
0: would have thought you were crazy.
1: <laughs> and, 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 and reading and finishing this book, I should say this, is that what I realized, because in 1929, when he finished the book series, he was forgotten. Like J.P. Morgan paid him for all those years, but J.P. Morgan had died by that time. So his last volume got sent, and the, the books were, there's 222 full sets made for the entire series. Yeah. And... They were just forgotten. Curtis was forgotten. So Curtis was forgotten and the Native Americans weren't. It was like this crazy, like he always thought that they would be forgotten, but actually what was forgotten, and it wasn't for years later, decades later, when Curtis's, some of his uh, volumes started to to reappear, that he got recognized again. But he actually became more forgotten than the Native American culture in, in, in some aspects. And I, I thought that was rather interesting reading um, through this book the third time. Yeah.
0: So speaking of Curtis, I mean, who are some of the other photographers that you look up to or inspire your work? Uh, who, who are the ones that kind of come to mind? Um,
1: uh, William Mortensen, um, number one on my list. Yep. Um, as far far, as far as far my creative work, um, for sure, um, Man Ray, I, I love Man Ray. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many photographers that, uh, we can we can draw inspiration from but for me um you know it's edward curtis um orlando scott goff was a wet plate photographer here in bismarck north dakota that captured the first ever photograph of sitting bull here 135 years later i captured his great-grandson here in the same city in the same process so he he's been an inspiration to me obviously edward curtis with the native americans but if i'm talking about creativity and stuff it would be william mortensen what he was doing um in the 1920s was insane. I mean, no Photoshop, I mean, everything was cut and paste and montages and, and, and his, um, you know, it was like a lot, a lot, a lot of witchcraft and, and monsters and, and, and things that were just uh, otherworldly that he was he was giving us depictions of that nobody, nobody was doing anything like what he was doing at the time. You know, there was the, the the Siegfried folly girls and stuff. There was a lot of that going around and stuff, but nobody was doing this dramatic, um, dramatic scenery shots like William Mortenson. So he, he's definitely my hero. And to tell you, uh, you know, a small little, you know, these um, coincidences that we've been finding in this conversation, Chad, you and I. So um, when, I, when I started researching William Mortensen, i found a picture of his studio and his studio was in uh, laguna beach california okay well i used to, i lived for 10 10 10 years in orange county california and laguna beach was my favorite place to surf i would boogie board <sighs> every weekend i'd get on a bus i didn't have any money so i'd get on a bus and i'd go down to laguna beach it was beautiful there and i would boogie board um it was called blacks beach yeah that was the name of it. i want to say and or crystal cove there as well and Anyway, so I'm – this is years later, right? Like years later, I'm researching – just like five years ago or whatever, I'm researching Mortensen. I see a picture of a studio. Guess what? The surf shop that I would get different supplies for boogie board and stuff was William Mortensen's old studio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I was actually in. Yep. It's right on the corner. You can look it up online. If you look up William Mortensen's studio, uh, Laguna Beach, California, you will see a picture of that damn building. And that building, and I don't know if it's a surf shop to this day, but when I was in California, it was a surf shop, and I had entered that surf shop. So I was walking around in the realm of the God, yeah, and didn't even know it. And this is before I even found a camera. (laughs) So these are the kind of things, you know, that um, these are the kind of things that uh, seem very, very strange
0: to me. Very serendipitous moments, yes, for sure.
1: I also, I, you know, I, I have a, a, a story about my tattoo on my left shoulder. I got one tattoo on my body. I was 21 years old. My brother wanted to get a tattoo. and We went into a tattoo parlor. I couldn't decide what to do. I'm going to make this quick. And I decided I was going to get a sun on my shoulder. had no idea why I decided to put a sun on my shoulder. <laughs> and it, it occurred to me after making wet plates and building the studio is that why would you put a sun on your shoulder? But now every Friday you're using the sun's light to create
0: images. Yeah. Did did you put a little uh, exposure chart underneath it for you? I should have. I should have. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, so just to kind of uh, swing us back around here, I know we're we're kind of running short on time here. What I, I know we we're hopefully going to have a lot of uh, folks that are listening in that are into wet plate. They they've been experimenting with it for a while. What, what advice do you have for any newcomers to the craft or, or even to seasoned photographers that are out there using this process?
1: Change one thing at a time. <laughs> I mean, that's really, yep. I mean, if you're just learning, change one thing at a time. Don't change two variables at a time. You're, you'll never figure it out changing two variables at a time. Um, look for someone who has time to to help you. Look for you know you don't have to have it doesn't have to be someone in person to have a mentor or anything or a teacher. Um, and then just um, just be methodical and just pay attention and listen and watch what other people um, do um, and and just immerse yourself. start crawling down this rabbit hole. And uh, I may be ten years ahead of some of these people crawling down this rabbit hole, but I can tell you right now, I don't see a bottom yet. And, and people have asked me, like, when do you think you're gonna master this process? And um, I've always said, like, maybe 30 years from now. Um, <laughs> is when I've, you know, I've always kind of thought that um, it's not something that you can master. And I never wanna make the perfect plate. I know artists have said that before, but I, I never wanna make the perfect plate. I always, there's always that challenge and there's always that, that need to improve. And, and, you know, like when you started and when I started, we, we made some pretty big jumps, right? Like you know, our plates sucked really bad at the first, but then you you know you oh, oh well you made a big breakthrough and then things started to come together re- relatively quickly. But when you've been doing this you know over a decade, um, those those uh, those improvements they're small little baby steps. Yeah. And and you gotta you gotta find what it takes to do that the next thing and to keep challenging yourself and and to keep um, trying new techniques. Um, and the other thing is, is, if they could do it back, you know, even like this last week, I made another vignette uh, portrait, you know, if they could do it back a hundred and some years ago, you can do it today in the same process. So just figure out how they did it and, and just go ahead and do it. And it's more of these, you know, you're adding one more tool to your belt and it's, it's this combinations of tools that you slowly add to your belt as you, as you walk down this path, this creative path into wet plate. Um, yeah, that's the only advice I have.
0: Yeah. So my wife and I, we visited one of the local uh, art museums here in, in Colorado, and they have an exhibit where they are displaying uh, prints by Pablo Picasso. Mm. And I know that you have a, a few different quotations on your website. I don't know mm-hmm. if, you were, if you know the one that I'm going to mention here to you, but um, a quote from uh, Pablo Picasso is that the, the meaning of life is to find your gift the purpose of life is to give it away. Hmm. Do you, do you feel like you are fulfilling your purpose?
1: Well, I I don't, um, if you mean giving away, you can look at that a couple of different ways, but you could look at it one way is financially. Um, I don't charge my native American friends and sitters for the series. They all get free scans and prints of everything that I do. And I, when I donate these plates, these different museums, they are, they aren't charged either. So, um, The work really, um, the work's going to be here long after me, and you know I've always thought if you can find a place for it, uh, a place where that you know maybe someone can enjoy it years later, that's really where the importance is. And and it's also it's, it's also gives me great pleasure to be able to you know, gift plates to people where they come in and we take a couple of plates. I keep my favorite and then they get to take something home with them and and then it'll stay with their family and it'll become a family heirloom if, if they have any, um, you know, if they have any understanding. And everyone who comes, you've been into my studio, everyone who comes into my studio may not have an understanding coming in, but when they leave, um, it's my job to make sure that they leave with an understanding of what it is that just happened here. And um, so, you know, you can you can really make some connections and it's all about, the people it's all about the people and it goes back to the portraits right you're shooting people you're not going up and giving a tree a hug <laughs> um, you know you're just uh you know there was uh, this last friday there was and i i won't say who or anything like that but a portrait came to life in the fixer and uh the gentleman just broke down in tears i'm not talking just eyes getting a little wet we're talking tears in my studio and in every time that happens um i don't take that for granted it's like when's the last time you showed someone a photograph on the back of their, your iphone and they broke down in tears mm. Yeah. it doesn't happen but there's something and i'm not saying this has anything to do with my talents this isn't me boasting that oh my photography brings people to tears it's not that you know damn well what it is it's this yeah. process it's this process that if the person understands what it is that we're creating, that we're creating an object that will be here a thousand years from now, long after we're all gone, the permanence of that, and how many people get that opportunity to be um, immortalized in the, in this manner. And But I'm a hopeless romantic. I love this process. There's no finer photographic process on the planet. It's my opinion. And I don't care about color. I don't need... Photographs to have color in order for them to have merit.
0: Yeah. You know, I, uh, every time that I bring somebody back into the darkroom, whenever this is their first time that they've seen this process, um, that brings me so much joy, just being able to share that, uh, it, that magic with them, that whenever you place that plate in the fixer and that image appears, uh, you know, almost from nowhere... Uh, it, it's an, it's amazing to them that hey this is something that that actually exists and that somebody figured out how to do you mm-hmm. know 160 years or so ago. Uh, it's just uh, incredible uh, to to the novice that that's not around it and and I'm I guess I am so glad that every time I do it, it's still magical, right? It's it's not become commonplace.
1: There's, there's something religious about it. There's something, there's something spiritual about it, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from. But there, there's, there's something. Can you imagine what the Native Americans thought when Curtis would, or Orlando Scott Goff would come out of his dark room or wherever he was at and shows them an image of someone? I mean, you, it had, it, oh, it's yeah. magic today yeah. with all the technology that you and I know about. Chad, it's magic today. Can you imagine for, for a Native tribe on the plains? Um, with their limited technology at the time, um, what they must have thought that was occurring there. I mean, it was it was no wonder that the um, they called the the photographers shadow catchers. Yeah. Um, they, they wouldn't let these they, they had a hard time letting these plates leave their leave their tribe because how could my chief still be here? But then that piece of object whatever it is that tin <laughs> or glass has him on there as well, and that's why they thought they were you know um, some of the reasons why they thought something was being stolen that he, the person left behind is less of that person because part of that person went with that photographer in that box. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Fascinating stuff.
0: Yep. So uh, last question here, Shane. So how do people that want to see your work or even maybe get a photo taken, how do they reach out to you? What's the best way to get in contact? Where's your work at?
1: Yeah. Um, if, if you want to find me, it's very easy. Um, if you just go to Google and type in Balkowicz B A. L-K-O-W-I-T-S-E-H, wet plate, two words. You're going to get um, many different articles, and you'll get my website and everything. You can you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Vero as well. So there's there's many places. Or if you just type in Bulkwich wet plate on Google and just hit images, you're going to see a plethora of, of my work and, and see what it is that I'm doing here. And um, I just hope... Um, you know, I envision myself as an old man with a cane or something coming down this, uh, this hill to my studio when I'm 80, 90 years old, God willing, and able to continue to, um, to make portraits uh, until my, my, my last days.
0: I hope so. Hey, Shane, I want to thank you for uh, signing up to be uh, interviewee number one for this podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to uh, talk face-to-face again in the near future.
1: I look forward to a chat. I appreciate and, uh, it. Th- thanks. It's it's a huge honor that you asked me to be on your inaugural um, your inaugural show, and um, I uh, appreciate everyone taking the time listening.
0: Great. Thanks, Shane. You're welcome. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and maybe even picked up some insights that will help you along in your own web play journey. I'd love to hear from you on who you'd like to have on in a future episode. So send me a message and follow our Instagram account at 10Questions with any feedback. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening to me, Chad Shryock, and my expert guests. And I look forward to you joining me again in the coming weeks for a new episode of 10 Questions.